This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. We are going to continue in our series in the book of Romans, and we want to, uh, to do that um, by starting with a word of prayer. And so would you pray with me? God, as I said, this has to be among the oddest experiences of my life, but it's a true joy to be here. And so I thank you for this opportunity and privilege. I thank you for the people gathered here. I thank you for the ones watching on the live stream. And Father, I pray that as we open your word now, Romans 8, that you would continue to show us the grace that you have so lavishly poured out to us, that you have uh, that sweeps over us like a tidal wave. And God, I pray that we would just sense grace upon grace. In the book of James, you said he gives more grace. You give more grace. And so God, may we see more and more of your grace today as we look at these things. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Well, folks, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. If you have your Bible, let's open to that. If you've got a device, you can uh, click it over to Romans 8, 9 to 11. Just going to do three verses together this morning. It's going to work out really well because I just have three points that I want to share. So let me first read these verses. This is Romans 8, 9 to 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. In fact, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, the more time that I spend in Romans 8, the more I am convinced that this, the title of our series through the chapter is not hyperbolic. There are other chapters that would have to be in the conversation, but Romans 8 is one of the best chapters of the Bible. It's, it's so good. In fact, we're not even titling these messages you go on our website, they don't even have titles. If we were printing sermon notes for you, they wouldn't even have titles. Uh, I, I felt like it would just place too many limitations on them. We were just simply calling them by verse numbers. This is just Romans 8, 9 to 11, because I don't want to reduce it to just one thing. You know, if you take out some of the connecting words from the book of Romans, like the, or and, or, or a, If you take those words out, the most frequently used word in the book of Romans is God. It's used about once every 47 times. One out of every 47 words in Romans is the word God. So I know that the Sunday school answer, the silly answer, when I ask what is Romans about, of course you say, oh, it's about God. But it's more than that when it comes to Romans. Romans is about God. To a lesser extent, it's about you and it's about me. It's about us. 
But as we read the book of Romans, this is the question that it's asking and answering. The question that Romans asks and answers is, what do people like us do? And when I say people like us, I mean people who rarely get it right, people who can't seem to get it together, people who make the same mistakes over and over and over again, people who are lost on our own. What do people like us do? And the answer is God. To begin with, we don't do anything. God does everything. He creates, he calls, he turns, he forgives, and he saves. There are a few ways that that we come along for the ride, but nothing happens outside of God acting first. And that's why Romans 8 is written the way it's written, because God acts first. These verses seem like a tidal wave of grace because they are. This is just grace upon grace that we read of in Romans 8. I've said this almost every week so far. We're not told to do anything in this chapter. There's no commands because the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole of the Christian life is not something primarily that you do. The Christian life is first something that comes over you. It is something that God gives. And our primary response to God is not to do anything. It is simply to receive from him. So the most important thing to do as a Christian is not to follow commands. It's not to obey rules. The most important thing to do as a Christian, the thing that makes you a Christian, is to receive. To have an open heart to God. Is your heart open to God this morning? Is your heart open to God right now? Open to receive His love? Is your heart open to receive forgiveness from Him? Is your heart open to hear the God of all creation speak to you? Because He speaks to you this morning. We're looking at these three verses, and they're very personal. I want to say three things from these three verses. First, first thing I want to say is if you are a Christian, a miracle has happened to you. If you're a Christian, a miracle has happened to you. Second, there is a real way to know if that miracle has happened. There is real evidence for you to be sure that that miracle has happened. And third, if the miracle has happened, you can be sure it will last forever. If the miracle has happened and you are a Christian, you can be sure it will last forever. So saying these another way, verse 9, how you become a Christian. Verse 10, how you know you're a Christian. And verse 11, your destiny as a Christian. How you know you're a Christian, or sorry, how you become a Christian, how you know you're a Christian, and your destiny as a Christian. So let's, let's look at verse 9 again, sort of under the heading, a, a miracle has happened. 
a miracle has happened. Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This starts out by saying, you. Paul makes what he's been teaching in Romans 8, verses 1 to 8, personal. Verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in verse 9, that becomes, There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. It's easy to look around and to see the, the good things that other people are doing. Other people are kind. Other people serve. Other people exhibit great faith when they walk through tragedy. And it's easy to look around and think, well, other people, I know others who have the Holy Spirit. I know many people who have the Spirit, but I'm not sure that I do is a very common experience for the Christian. But Paul says in verse 9 that you do. It's a strange way of saying it. He says that you are not in the flesh, which is another way of saying that you're not in your natural self. You're no longer in Christ a natural person, but you are a spiritual person if, you, if you're in the Spirit. So you have to be, you're in the Spirit, and then he says it's possible to have the Spirit. So I ask, which is it? Do you have the Spirit, or does the Spirit have you? Do you have the Spirit, or does the Spirit have you? And the answer is, it's both. It's both. The Spirit comes to you, but you are open to the Spirit. Now, we, we didn't use these words at our wedding, but you've probably heard them. You go to a wedding and somebody asks, do you take this man or this woman to be your husband or wife? And then they say, to have and to hold. You know then it's richer or poorer, and I feel like we all think it's going to be easier to be on the richer side of that, but maybe not, you know. To have and to hold. It's possible to have somebody and to hold somebody, but the thing is we're both asked that at a wedding. Do you take this person to have them and hold them, but also they're asked if they take you to have you and hold you. It's a little bit of how it works with the Holy Spirit. He takes you and you take him. So what does it look like to, to have and to be held by the Spirit? It's not sinless perfection or being a person who never has bad days. If that were the case, none of us would ever have any hope. It says we're in the Spirit if the Spirit dwells in us. On one hand, if you've been born again by the Spirit, I can say that you've, you've felt that. You've experienced that. Maybe you have some inner peace or a sense of being forgiven or a purpose. But what I'm hesitant to tell you is that it's a feel thing. That you just feel like you have the Holy Spirit because our feelings can be deceptive. Some of us have an underdeveloped conscience 
and some of us have an overdeveloped conscience. Some of us feel too much, some of us feel a little bit too little. And, and what I mean by that is, is so many Christians are going to, to feel like they can do a hundred great godly things, pray for people, serve their brothers and sisters in Christ, share the gospel widely, invite others to hope in Jesus, disciple younger believers, on and on and on, but they will still feel like they're not doing enough, like they're not enough. And on the flip side, there will be men and women who are pretty awful, selfish, greedy, self-centered people, and they're not overly bothered by it. They don't feel any sense of remorse or grief over that. And they'll say, well, I, I prayed to receive Christ once a, a while ago. And so I'm hesitant to tell you that the inner sense of the Holy Spirit is what is most to be prized. I would say that there is an inner sense. But his living in your heart can also be seen. That's a part of what verse 10 is saying. We can see the Holy Spirit living in hearts. And so I want to give you a couple of ways to help discern if we really are open to the Holy Spirit. A few things for open to the Holy Spirit. Just let me give you three. Are you open to the Holy Spirit? Number one, are you open to the Holy Spirit? Do you have open hands? Do you have open hands? Are you controlling and you unravel when you feel out of control. You can't be in the Spirit fully unless you invite Him in and allow Him to lead. Both you and the Spirit can't be in control because you're in the flesh. You need the Spirit to come in and live. Number two, open minds. Do you have an open mind? Do you have the humility to admit that you don't know everything. Among other things, the Holy Spirit comes in to illuminate and teach. If you don't think that you have anything to learn, it's going to be a really big struggle for you to have the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to be humble enough to admit that you don't know everything and that you've got a lot to learn. Otherwise, you're going to fight the Spirit. Number three, Open hands, open minds. Number three, open lives. Are you willing to let other people in and be vulnerable with other people? Not everybody. Not all the people you know, but a few trusted friends. A few trusted Christian confidants. Are you willing to be vulnerable with some people? If you can't be open with where you're at, with where you're weak, with where you need help, if you can't admit your struggle, if you can't confess your sin before some other people, it's going to be tough for you with God. Because he's going to want to invade your heart and transform you. You will fight against him if you are unwilling to be vulnerable at times. If the Spirit dwells in you and you are in the Spirit, a miracle has occurred. You were once dead in your sin and your trespasses, caught in the futile cycle of doing what is, isn't good for you, not being able to do what is good for you, and God saved you from that. If you're in the Spirit, if you're in Christ, that's not just what God does for other Christians. It's what God has done for you, Christian. He has saved you. A miracle has happened if you're in the Spirit.
verse 10, under the heading, how you can know that the miracle has happened. How do we know that this miracle has taken place? Let's look at verse 10 again. Let me just read it. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. When I say that you can know the miracle has happened, what I mean is that you can, you can be sure you are in Christ based on what it says in verse 10. The body is dead because of sin. It's not just your physical body. It's everything that your physical body represents. It's where the body that you're currently in is made, what, what it's made for, and it's realizing that there is more to life than the one we're currently living. This is not to downplay life. Life's a great gift, and we've been given by it by God. But it's infinitely better when we come to see that this part, this part of life is only temporary, and the life that awaits is the one we are truly meant to live. Now, Paul says here that the body is dead because of sin. And it's true, but it's also a great metaphor. This is a great metaphor for what's happening in our world. Our fascination and our pursuit of sinful things, the things of our world, of the present world, is seen in the way that people worship their bodies. We're told that some of the most important things in life are being good-looking, staying young, being then successful, being rich. But how many people do you know who are putting a lot into staying young, who concentrate a lot on their own body, who've made success and wealth their goal, are happy, are really happy? Not many, if, if you know any at all. And if you do know some, that will pass because looks fade Youth fades. Godly character, life with the Spirit, lasts forever. And the reason is that life doesn't come through the body. Life doesn't come through this body. You just live in this body. In the way that it matters, our bodies are already dead. Life comes through the Spirit. And the Spirit gives us life, Paul says, through the righteousness of Christ. We don't get life by staying young. We don't get true life by living in this body forever. We don't get life by working out. We don't get life through fitness or wealth. We have life, true life, because Jesus lived a sinless one, and he was put to death anyway. And now because of that one death, the one death of the only truly righteous one, we who are unrighteous may live forever if we're open to the Spirit. Jesus said he came so that we would have life and life abundantly. Life's not in your body. Life comes through the Spirit, folks. Verse 11. The miracle lasts forever. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Through the Spirit, God saves your soul 
And here's the good thing about the body. He saves that too. Which means that the work that he is doing right now, he will do forever. 1 Corinthians 15 says that if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then Christians most of all are to be pitied because we're wasting our lives on a myth. But in fact, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and what that, do, that truth does is it transforms us from people who would, norm, who would otherwise be pitied to people who have been given everything. Because Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the resurrection of all believers. When a person who has the Spirit dies in this life, their soul goes immediately into the presence of God. And when Jesus comes again, their body is, is, their body is resurrected. Bodies restored. Their bodies repaired and it's given back to us. Not just better than it was before, but perfect. Your resurrected body will not have any cancer. It won't have any arthritis. Its organs won't fail. There'll be no more degeneration from old age. No more depression. No more deformity. No more susceptibility to illness. No more pain. Nothing that God has made goes to waste, but everything that God has made is renewed. And the second time around, the second time you're given a body, none of the bad things that have befallen the one you're currently in will ever happen to you again. The miracle lasts forever. Heaven's not boring. It's not the same thing every day. It's not church, even the kind where you can get out of your car and go into the building. It's life as it's supposed to be. That's heaven. Heaven is life as it's truly meant to be. And folks, it's done. It's done. It's already done. You and I don't feel like it's done sometimes. We forget but the work that is necessary to do the miracle in your life has already been done. It happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. It won't be hard for God to do this. He's already done the hard thing, which was to watch his son be crushed in his body, the body of Jesus to be broken down and broken apart and abandoned God turned his God the Father turned his back in a sense on God the Son and let him suffer alone so that whatever we're suffering whatever we endure we can do with him Have you ever thought about that Have you ever thought that you don't suffer alone because Jesus did that for you too on your own in your flesh according to your natural self you would have to go through any suffering in this life alone. But because Jesus suffered alone, even when you suffer, you suffer with God who's not just next to you. He lives inside of you. God suffers with you. He lives in you and suffers with you when you suffer. I was reminded of something when I was preparing this week that I'd heard before 
but it, it hit me with a new weight this week. In all the prayers of the New Testament, there is not a single plea for circumstances to change. Think about that. There is not a single plea for circumstances to change all throughout the New Testament in any of the prayers where the writer asks for God to change a present suffering. And the reason is because the miracle of salvation is already done. The outcome is determined. Our hope is sure. We don't need to wonder whether we're going to be okay because God has already made sure we're far more than okay. We have his spirit. In his spirit is life. And the life in his spirit lasts forever. And so when we face suffering, when we face trials of various kinds, we don't have to wonder where God is in those things because he is in us and with us through those things. Let's pray together. Father, may your name be praised. We give you thanks, honor, and glory. We thank you for the Spirit. I pray for anybody who listens to my voice, if they're not in the Spirit, would you help them to come to an end of themselves, open their heart to you, and receive the grace of God. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.